we're going to uh, look at Mark chapter 7. I have three pages of notes, so we're going to get right to it. <laughs> I hope you can digest three old pages this morning. I, uh, the, Mark, Mark 7 starts with Jesus being criticized by the Pharisees, and it's like, you know, you ever have you ever have an argument with maybe a spouse or a co-worker or something, and they say to you, they say, really? I hate that. You know, because what that means, what that means to me is that, are you that stupid? You know, and I, I'm thinking about what happens. The Pharisees come to trap him. They're looking for something to accuse him. You think, really? They say to do all these miracles. They've seen him, you know, feed people and heal people and and you think, really? They're, they're just, it's, it's their spirit coming without. And then you get to the end of the chapter, which we may not get to today, but you get to the end of the chapter, and Jesus basically says that to his disciples. Really? You don't, you hadn't got it yet? You really don't understand yet who I am? And I was thinking about that, and I'm thinking about how often he's probably thinking that about me, is that uh, all, all this year, 50 years I've been saved, and all these years, and he's, he's saying, Really, you don't trust me yet. You still, you know, you, you you still are fearful. You still are angry. You're still bitter. You're still prideful. You're still all those things that are sinful in your spirit, and and so we're like the disciples. When we read about the disciples, don't be too critical because it's a mirror being held up to ourselves. In fact, the whole Bible is a mirror being held up to ourselves. So pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, we just ask you to, to help us to understand, help us to, uh, Lord, when you speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word, help us respond in an appropriate manner. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to ask for your grace. And uh, Lord, uh, work in our hearts. And we'll be grateful for what you do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Mark chapter 7. Um, read with me the first couple of verses. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Remember, we talked about when Mark's writing to a Gentile audience, and so he explains some of the Jewish practices. And when we read they washed with, they ate with unwashed hands, it doesn't mean they didn't clean their hands or if they happened to have dirty hands. It means they didn't go through the ceremonial washing that the rabbis taught. And so what we're going to see here is the conflict between um, the Word of God and the Jewish tradition. In, in the end, when, when Jesus goes before Pilate to be delivered up, to be crucified, Pilate nails it when he says or, or thinks that they have delivered him out of jealousy, uh, out of envy. And, and so and what are they envious of is because Jesus doesn't respect their traditions, but rather he elevates the word of God. And when you uh, recognize in the Gospels that they elevated the traditions. And I mentioned to you a few weeks ago... Um, the Lord gave the law through Moses, so you have the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were a protection. They, if you want to live happily ever after, you just kept the Ten Commandments because it taught you, here's your right relationship with God, here's how you live in right relationship with your community. 
and that they were not restrictions. Uh, some of them were saying, do not do this. But the restriction was, if, don't ruin your life. Don't, don't, do, don't ruin your life. We say that to our kids, or we say that to our kids. And, and, and so uh, the Lord says that to us. Don't, here's your boundaries. Don't, if you go outside the boundary, you can. But if you do, you're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin your society. And, and so, but, but the, over time, the, the Jewish rabbis, at first that was an oral, oral law. Or, not, not an oreo, but an oral law. And, and then they began to interpret it. They say, well, what about this circumstance? If I'm having trouble with Bill, how, how do we, I mean, how do we apply that? And so they began to have this oral tradition about here's what the law means. And then they had another layer upon you have to interpret the tradition. And then they come to a third layer. And that's recorded in the Talmud and in the Mishnah. And so that's the Jewish writings when they finally were written down. So they have all these regulations, and Jesus didn't acknowledge them. And it drove the Pharisees crazy, and the scribes. And that's what, we, that's what you find here. They, they sent a delegation, it happened back in chapter 3 at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, is they came to check him out. They're hearing about him, they want to know if he's legitimate. And now they've sent another delegation, but when we read here that they found fault, they came looking for fault. They came looking for something to accuse him of because they didn't care if he had a miraculous ministry. He, they wanted him to do it. I'm reading into their motive. They wanted him to do it under the umbrella of their authority. They, they wanted him to get permission from them. They wanted the glory out of what he was doing because that's how they, um, that, that's how they operated in that sense. So then he explains a little more, Mark does to his readers, verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. So they, they, they had all these regulations, and it, it was an act of piety. Uh, they were proud of themselves because they kept these things. Some of the Pharisees would be so pious that if you had, if you had a three-course meal, they would get up and do this oblation between each course. And it meant you poured the water going this way, and then you poured the water going this way. And, uh, and, and they, they were proud about, about how they kept these things. So that's really what this meant. It didn't just mean that you washed your hands uh, before you ate. So we read then in verse 5, Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not wash, not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And so Jesus responds, and he responds with the word of God. Not their tradition, but the word of God. Read it with me in verse 6. He, he answered them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. A hypocrite, the word means an actor. You have a mask on and you're, you're playing a part. So he's, he's calling them out. He is saying to them, and it, you know, a lot of our world characterizes Jesus as just being a, a loving, humble, bumbling, stumbling. Yeah, but he, he's very authoritative, and he just said, you're hypocrites. And, and it was a condemning word that means you're acting out your part, but it's not real. And then he quotes from Isaiah. And this people honor me with their lips, but their heart 
is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Well, isn't it interesting? Hundreds of years before this, Isaiah, the, through by the instrument of the Lord, condemned the people of Israel for doing this very thing. And here they have perfected it to a fine art. And, and Jesus holds them accountable. So here you have the doctrine or the commandments of men. You have doctrine or commandments of men. And our world doesn't like the word doctrine today, but the Lord gave us doctrine. And the doctrine simply means the truth. It is the truth of certain things. And so he is contrasting the two, and he's saying, that's what you care about, this is what I care about. This is what you should care about. Isaiah told you this hundreds of years ago. Then in verse 8, he said, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. And before we go any further, let me just let me make a little application here. I have some traditions. You have some traditions. We, we Baptists have some traditions. I, I was thinking about this, and Don and I ate out a couple times this week, you know, and I generally say the prayer, and it's the same exact prayer all the time. I mean, it is, do it, get it over with, let's eat. I hate to confess that, but that's true. You just fall in that road. That's our tradition. We wouldn't dare eat without praying. Well, sometimes I dare eat without praying, but but Donna wouldn't. So, you know, you understand. So we have our traditions. We have our traditions when we come to church, right? Am I in this by myself? I mean, we, we have our tradition. We have our traditions. I mean, we... and and. You know, the people down the street don't keep our traditions, and we don't keep theirs, and sometimes it has nothing to do with doctrine. It has to do with practice. It has to do with how we're used to doing things, and um, every now and then, we get involved with the teen ministry, and they drive us crazy, because <laughs> they don't respect our traditions. They, they're developing their own, and I'm, I'm talking about doing it in a good way, I'm just talking about it's different, and sometimes it's music, sometimes it's how we dress, and, some, and so there's, there's a great deal of difference between uh, what the Bible teaches about modesty and what our generation defined as modesty. You understand that? And, and so I, I have a tradition, you have a tradition, so let's don't be too critical, uh, but let's don't make sure that when we have this tendency to criticize that it is not because if it's our tradition, but it would be we evaluate based on Scripture, maybe of what some other group is, is doing. There. I told Donna, this, I said, there's a lot of preaching in this lesson this week. She said, there is every week. So <laughs> That was, she was preaching to me. And then he said in verse 9, all... All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. For Moses said, now he's going to give an example. He, he gives them this example of what he's talking about. Verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. Now, that's pretty serious, isn't it? That's one, of the, that's one of the protections in life, is that you honor your father and mother, and, and we read in the time, and it, that you may, it may be well with you and that you may live long. So here's the promise of the blessing of God. But if you don't do it, you're messing your life up. You're in trouble. But here's what he says you do. And this is one of the traditions. 
Verse, verse 11. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, and then he explains that Jewish word, that is a gift to God. So he's saying, the illustration is, that when your parents get older, they may need your help. Are you listening, Denise? You know, they may need your help. And, and then he's saying that one of the Jewish traditions that you could say with what you have, your savings or your, your money or what, whatever, you could say this is korban. So what this is, I've dedicated this to God. And if I've dedicated this to God, I cannot give it to you. And, and you'd get by with that. You, and, and then the leadership, the scribes and the Pharisees, wouldn't let you because it's been dedicated to God, which means you're going to live off. It's kind of like a trust today. And a lot of, maybe some of you have done this. I've thought about it. You put your money in a trust. You put your assets in a trust. You live off that trust. And, and, and then when you die, that trust goes to your beneficiaries. And no one can touch that trust and they can't, so you're living on a, a, a monthly income. I, that's not in the notes. I don't know why I'm telling you about it. But this is basically the same thing. Those people lived on it, spent it however they want to, but they said, I can't give it to you because it's Corbett. It's, it's whatever I don't use is dedicated to God at, at some point in time. And this is what Jesus says to them about that. Uh, verse 13, you're making the word of God of no effect or your tradition which you have handled, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So he's saying that's just one illustration. But you're 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 exalting your tradition above the word of God. And uh, again, don't, that's a temptation for us. It's a temptation to exalt. Not, maybe maybe we wouldn't call it tradition, but our preferences. We're exalting those above the word of God, and so often, and we do it without thinking about it. Because we're in a habit of doing it. And so you need to think about it. You need to ask the Lord, speak to me from your word. Speak to me and let me humble myself before your word. Verse 14, when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, he's speaking here about food. Now, he, he's not speaking about, because the idea was of the unwashed hands and the food they were eating with the unwashed hands. And so he's, he's speaking to them. He's not saying that if you get involved, men, in pornography, that that's not going to defile you. He's not saying that. He's not saying if you take drugs, that's not going to defile you. But he's speaking about food. And the Jews had a, a dietary um, restriction. The Lord had given that to them. Again, once again, it's like the, it's like the commandments. The, the Lord, when he brought them out of Egypt, and he gave them these laws, he gave them moral law, uh, he, he gave them um, social law, he, he gave them dietary laws, he's protecting them. I mean, he said, don't, don't eat these unclean animals. And the reason why is because they would spoil in the desert. They would spoil without refrigeration of any kind, and it would kill them. And, and it, it would be a plague to them. And so there were things that carried... I don't know, when I grew up every, occasionally, I don't know if many of you remember this, but we would, we would shoot rabbits occasionally and eat rabbits, as, as boys would. And, and I mean, then the family would eat rabbits. 
And, but you didn't eat rabbit. I'm trying to remember. Any month with you in it. Anybody remember that? Well, you all people had money, I guess. You didn't eat rabbit. <laughs> and the reason why is because they, they would have ticks and be infected. And so, and so what months have you? May, June, July. No, June, July, August. <clears throat> well, now you know something. Now you've learned something. So if you eat rabbit, there you go. But, but you understand, the Lord wanted them to be protected during that time. But now he's saying to them, even if you don't eat kosher food, if you don't eat kosher food, that's not going to defile you. But what's going to come out of your heart? That's what defiles you. I think this is later on, you remember, after Jesus' resurrection and, and Peter's to go down to Caesarea and preach, and he didn't want to go because they're Gentiles. And you remember the Lord gave him the vision in the book of Acts uh, and, and showed him these animals, clean and unclean, and said, Peter, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And the, and the Lord's saying to them, those restrictions are going to go away. You're, you're going to, everything's going to be free for you to eat at some point in time. But he's saying that even if you do it now, it doesn't defile you, but what's in your heart defiles you. This is what he goes on and said. The disciples didn't understand it, so they, they asked him, verse 17, verse 18, he explains it. Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? See, the disciples have been raised under these rules. They've been raised under these traditions, and maybe not to the degree the scribes and the Pharisees had, but, but they had lived as Jews, and they had been to the temple, and they had gone to Passover, and they, they lived this way themselves to some degree, and probably felt guilty when they didn't. And, and the Lord wanted to free them of this thinking. Do you not perceive, verse 18, that whatever enters a man outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stumble, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles him? That defiles a man, verse 20. For from within, out of the heart of man, now here's the progression, out of the heart of man. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a, as a woman thinks in her heart, so is she. Out of our heart is, is what comes evil and defiles us. Verse 20. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulterers, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Spurgeon was preaching on this passage. He said to his congregation, I'm not even going to explain those. The devil has already explained those to you. <laughs> and the devil's already taught us about those things. But what I want you to see is the progression. It's out of the heart. And then it's our thoughts, and then it's our behavior. And, and that's true for all of us. I, I, I studied this morning before we came, and I, you know, uh, we struggle with sin in three areas. It, it, is the, uh, it, it is the flesh and the devil and the world. And, and sometimes when you're trying to honor the Lord, and this morning is one of those for me, is I, I'm, I'm studying and I'm thinking about these passages and, you know, and I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking about, uh, you know, what I'm putting in the notes and looking at the notes. And, 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 and then your mind wanders off and you go all the way back to when I was a kid and you got involved in sinful things. And I'm thinking, that's the devil doing that this morning. 
Now, not personally. He's not there personally, but, but, but I'm subject to him influencing me. And I think, how can you do that? How can you be before the Lord and wanting to honor him? And now you have these thoughts these, from, from sin in your past that come in and, and it's browbeating you. And, and see, that's what happens is that it comes out of the, out of the heart and out of the thoughts and, and, the, and, and then in your life and it can captivate you. And the Lord frees us from that and frees us from the guilt of that. But we have to be freed from the influence. Uh, and, we, and we do that by coming back to the Lord. So I told myself this morning, I'm to think on things that are pure, lovely, and good report. That's what the Bible instructs us to do. And you have to take control of your mind. You have to overlay those thoughts with grace of God given to you through the Word of God by the Holy Spirit. And you have to make yourself do that to, to be set free from these things that defile you. See, if I'd been to ruminate on that and, and there's pleasure in sin, then you become defiled in, in your thinking. So he explains that. All these things proceed out of the heart of men. Um, Spurgeon said this, Sin is not a splash of mud upon a man's exterior. It is a filth generated within himself. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful and wicked, and who can know it? And Jesus made it clear that when we think about these sins that are named here, we're guilty of, of committing them. Murder and adultery and lewdness and pride and all those things. If we think about those things and we give in to thinking on those things, we are guilty of, of committing those. He made it very clear. And I, I think if we'd ask ourselves honestly sometimes when our mind's drifting, uh, and maybe we're thinking about other people or circumstances or things. If, if, this, if, if our thought patterns are honoring the Lord, we might take control of our thought patterns. And then I think that I think the greatest thing in this chapter, and, and I, I love this story about the Phoenician woman. So now Jesus leaves, uh, verse 24. He arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered the house. And wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. So, I'm going to read it to you from Matthew. Uh, it's the same story. Uh, it's an example of faith. It reveals the kindness and the grace of the Lord and the humility of this woman. So, in Matthew chapter 15, uh, we're going to read it here, beginning in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there, departed the region of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan come from the region, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And Mark tells us she's a Syrophoenician, which means she's a Gentile. Uh, today, Tyre would be in Lebanon. At that time, it was a part of Syria. But today it would be in Lebanon, and so Jesus goes into this Gentile area. Now remember, he had sent his, he had told his disciples, just go to the Jews, and you know, go and take this message to the Jews, because Jesus primarily, first of all, was the Jewish Messiah. Now we already know he's going to be a light to the Gentiles, so we know at, at some point in time the gospel's going to go to the Gentiles, but it hadn't at this point yet. And, and so the Jews have to accept him. You remember he met with a Samaritan woman who was half Jew in John chapter 4, and she was half Jew, half, half 
Gentile, so she is a Samaritan, and he told her salvation is of the Jews. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean a Gentile couldn't be saved at that point in time, but what it meant, it meant that if you're going to understand salvation, you have to going to understand at some point in time, you know, I really have conflicting thoughts here. You don't have to understand anything, but Jesus is the Savior to be saved. That's it. Jesus died to pay the penalty of your sin. But if you're going to understand the doctrine and theology behind it, you're going to have to understand that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, that he came fulfilling, because it proves who he was. He came fulfilling all the prophecy concerning him. He came, he's the son of David. Uh, he's going to sit on David's throne. So to really understand, you're going to have to know all those things. So that's why he said salvation's of the Jews. He, he, didn't, he wasn't meaning you have to be a Jew to be saved. And that comes into this here. So he, she's a Gentile woman. I go back to the text. And she cried to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. She knew who he was. She knew and believed that he was the Jewish Messiah. O Lord, Son of David. That's exactly what that means. So somewhere she had heard of him. She had listened to the prophets. She had heard them. Some, somewhere she got this information and she believed in him. She knew who he was. That's why she came to him. And, and she named him for who he was. She's, she's way ahead of the disciples at this point. And so... Verse 23, sometimes it's hard for us to understand what this transact, what transpired here. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. So evidently they had left the house. They may have been going back to the Jewish region, and she's following along, and she's crying out after them. She acknowledges who Christ is, and he's ignoring her, and she's crying out after them as she follows after them. In verse 24, he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he's saying that to the disciples, that they might understand who he is, and she's hearing it. And you know, we would be offended. At some point in time, we would be offended because it would be offensive to us that someone is saying to us, you are of no account to me. You're not important to me. I'm not sent to you. And, and you believe it's the Son of God. And he's saying, I'm not sent to you. And that's the first thing we would get out of that. But verse 25, she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Isn't it interesting? He's ignoring her for a purpose. Jesus is not cruel, so he has a purpose. So he's ignoring her for a purpose. He's not responding to her. He's speaking to the disciples about her. I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And she worships. And you know, this is, this is and he's going to acknowledge her faith in a minute, but this is the height of faith, is that we should worship based upon who Christ is, not because of what he does for us. And we struggle with that in, in our life. We, we struggle with that in our faith. I struggle with that, and I'm sure you do. And when I, as I pastored people and counsel people, that is a universal struggle among Christians. We worship based upon how we feel like we're being treated and not worship because Jesus is 
God in the flesh, and he is worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. See, Job had it right and said, even though he slay me, I shall see him in my flesh. And so we, we, are, we are to worship. I can't, I can't emphasize that enough to myself and to you. We're to worship. We're, we're to worship in all of our circumstances. We're to worship whether he answers our prayer to our satisfaction or not. We, are, we owe him worship. He deserves our worship. Isn't that true? Do you grasp that? Do you grasp the immensity of that? How life-changing if we, could, if we could nail that down in our thought life and, and have that as a foundational truth in our mind. He deserves our worship. We should worship at all times in every, in every circumstance. And she did that. He is, re, he is ignoring her and she's worshiping. She's saying, you're worthy, oh Lord, you're worthy. That's what worship means. And then she came, verse 25, she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me, help me. <laughs> and, and then he responds, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, the Jewish people regarded the Gentiles as dogs. And, and that, the, the word they use, and you find that, they're talking about the outside dog that's a wild dog or a cur or one you feed the outside, and they're, they're not. But he's, he uses the word, it's a diminutive word. It's a word actually of affection. And he's talking about these are your lap dogs. These, these are the ones that live in your house. These are the ones that, you know, I, I think of a lap dog as a little poodle or a little chihuahua or something like that. Some people have great Danes that live in their house. But, uh, but it, so here, here's this. He's using this word, and, and, and she picks up on it. And she realizes, okay, he's being kind to me. I mean, he's, he, he's responding in this sense. And she's not offended. Most Gentiles would be offended when a Jew says to them, you're a dog. You're nothing but a dog. Because most of them would mean it in arrogance, and they would mean it as a slur. And, uh, and, and, they, and they meant it as a slur. And people would accept it as a slur. And that's why there was so much controversy, and that's why there's so much controversy today, because it's still being held against Jewish people, their history, and there's a lot of anti-Semitism in our world today, not just because of this, but it's just, it's just the fact of life. It's demonic. But the Jews in this period of time deserved some of it, because they had exalted themselves not as the bearer of God's Word, but as the repository of God's grace. They're saying, we're loved of God because we're Jews. And that's not biblical. It was never true. It was never true. They were loved of God because He's gracious. And He developed the Jewish nation for the purpose of taking the gospel to the world. And, and they didn't grasp that. They're, again, they had this sinful thought pattern. It's all about me. It's all about, it's all about me. It's about who I am. It's about what I want. It's about what I think. And, and they ignored the Word of God. They lived in their traditions, and their traditions exalted the Jewish people above all people, and so they referred to them as dogs. And, and that would offend anybody. It would offend me. It would offend you. But, but this woman is sensing, this is, this is God in the flesh. He cares about me. He, 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 and and she, she had this spirit of not offense, but humility. You know what? The truth is, 
No one deserves to be saved. I don't deserve to be saved. You don't deserve to be saved. No one deserves to be saved. And she recognized that. I, I struggled with it, and you probably struggled with it. She recognized that. Maybe she had struggled with it previous to this. We don't know. But at this point in time, she recognized that. You know, we have trouble today in modern Christianity, and we have trouble understanding the doctrine of depravity. Okay, the doctrine of depravity. It means that every person is depraved. Every person is born depraved. Now, what what the word depraved means, and the doctrine of depravity doesn't mean that I'm as wicked as I could be. I'm not, and you're not. We're not as wicked as we could be. But what it does mean, very simply, is that in the sight of God, we have nothing to recommend ourselves for salvation. We have nothing to appeal to God to save us. There's no basis of worth in us that God would respond to to save us. That's just not biblically true. You know, some people take, they say, well, God has foreknowledge. Because the Bible uses that word about God, that he has foreknowledge. Foreknowledge means that God looks into the future and he understands and knows the future. So what they say is that in, in time past, God looked into the future and he saw that I was going to be born. And he saw that one day I was going to say and, and bow my knee and say to Christ, would you save me? And then he said that I'm going to be a part of the church. And so he said, well, because he's going to do that, I'm going to approve it. And that's not biblical either. Because what that's doing is that that's saying that I decide about what God will do in my life. I decide about what God will do for me. And and that's not biblical. Here's what's biblical. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. You, you were born dead, and physically born dead in your trespasses and sin. And dead people don't respond. So what happens is that you who know Christ, the Holy Spirit, see John 6, in chapter 6 says, that no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. So no one gets saved of their own. No one just wakes up one morning and says, you know, I've lived this a sinful life and been an enemy of God, but now I think I'm just going to change on my own and I'm going to choose God. Isn't he lucky? I'm going to choose God. No one does that. Now, people think they do, but no one does that. They only come to the Lord in humility because he draws them by the Holy Spirit. He elected them before the foundation of the world, and that election turns into grace at some point in time, and that that grace draws them to him, and he shows them mercy and forgiveness and gives them the righteousness of Christ. That's what he did for us. Okay, so, see, that's, that's what this woman wanted. And, and, it, and, and so, if we understand depravity, the doctrine of depravity, what we understand is I have no worth, I have no standing, I'm going to fall upon the mercy of God. And if he's gracious enough to save me, praise his name. I'm going to fall upon the mercy of God. And that's really what salvation is. That's what this woman did. And when we grasp that, it sets us free from performance. I don't have to perform for God to love me. He chose to love me. But he didn't, let me say it again, I'm going to repeat myself. But he didn't choose me because of anything within me. His choice was grace. 
And you say, well, what about those he didn't choose? God's commanded, uh, Acts 17, God's commanded all men everywhere to repent. If they repent, they're chosen. You, uh, you understand that? It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty simple. To me, it's pretty simple. It was complicated for a long time, but, and it's still complicated. I don't, I don't mean that. But if they will repent, they're chosen. It means they are chosen. If they won't repent, it means they weren't chosen. You say, well, you're getting the cart before the horse. No, God is before the cart. Okay, God is before the cart. And if you remember that, you're going to be okay. If you remember that, your theology is going to be okay. God came before the cart. God's not the horse, but he came before the cart. And he came before the horse. So if we understand that, it's freeing to us. I, I don't have to perform. I don't have to, I don't have to reach a level for God to love me. He, lo- he chose to love me. He chose to save me. That's grace. That, that should create worship within us. He deserves our worship, but we should desire toward. See, that's what this woman did. This woman represents everything that's honorable in a Christian. This is just a great story. This woman, who, who it seems to us is being browbeaten by the Lord even, by the world, and then maybe even by the Lord, but she just sang, Lord, you're right. I don't deserve a single thing. But I'm appealing to your mercy. I'm appealing to your mercy. See, and that's what honors, that's what honors God. That's what He responds to. And let me say to you, even after we're saved, that's how we should live. That's how we should look at our own life. Lord, I'm appealing to your mercy. I have no standing before you outside of Christ dying and being my Savior. He, His Spirit indwells me. The Holy Spirit indwells me. And I'm appealing to your mercy. I'm asking for grace. And when we do that in our daily life, He responds to us. Now, how, how do you put that in, in Scripture? Let me just give you some. After we're saved by faith, let me read what I wrote in the notes. After we're saved by faith, we need this attitude toward our sins in our daily life. I am a sinner. I've been saved 50 years, but I am a sinner. I still sin. I still struggle with these things he named earlier in this chapter. I, I, not to the degree I did before. And I, I've learned to cover it, but I, in my heart, I struggle with, with these sinful tendencies of pride and envy and jealousy and covetousness and, and lust and all, and all these things. But, but you know, if, if I recognize it and I cry out to the Lord, Lord, I need your mercy, we receive it, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 8 says, you're a sinner, buddy. Don't, you can't deny it. You're a sinner. And 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, speaking to the church, by the way, if you confess your sin, you will be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Not only will you be forgiven, you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. When, when we read this, in Proverbs 28, 13, I have it circled and underlined in my Bible. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. If you cover your sin, you're not going to prosper. You're not going to prosper. Now, what's prosper mean? We're speaking in relationship to God. And what happens when me as a Christian, when I do not confess 
my sin, when, when I don't confess my sin, when, when I have given in to these things in my spirit, if not in my hands, but in my spirit, if I've given it and I don't confess it, it means that I am quenching the Spirit of God. And what happens when I quench the Spirit of God within me is that I no longer have peace with God and I no longer have the peace of God to the same degree that I could have if I would confess. Intimacy is restored in our relationship with God when we daily confess our sin. And you don't have to wait till the end of the day. When, when, you, when the Spirit of God speaks to you, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty sinful, uh, or that's a little sinful, or that's, that's not right, then say, I, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to act like that. I don't want to behave like that. I, I don't want to treat people like that. I don't want to think like that. I want to be like this woman. I want to say, Lord, I don't deserve anything from you. I am undeserving, but I'm appealing to your mercy. That's worship. And and that's what God responds to. That's what gives us peace with God and the peace of God in in our hearts. Let's see where we are before we finish that. That's why I love this story. The story is so convicting to me. And and I want to be like this woman. I I don't want to feel like I deserve something from God. I keep hammering it, but I want you to understand what, what what I see in this passage of Scripture. We want to just trust Him. We want to just trust Him. Here's the end of the story, you, and you already know it. In verse 26, he says, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And I think we'd read that for her. And she said, Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She's saying, That's okay. I'm a little dog. I, I, that doesn't offend me. She's willing to accept her place. She realizes that he is the, he is the Messiah that's coming to the Jewish nation. He's the son of David. Okay, and she's not of the tribe of David. She's not, she's not there. But she's saying, that's okay. God still has enough mercy for me, and I'm satisfied with what mercy he has for me. Isn't that great? See, that's, that, is, that is the epitome of faith. And the Lord recognized that when he said to her in verse 28, Oh, woman, great is your faith. He didn't just say, you have enough faith to get what you want. He said, no, great is your faith. Great is your faith. I think this opens the door. This gives us an idea. The gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. And, and, and when the gospel went to the Gentiles, the Jews more and more rejected it. And we've just seen it happen. And now the Jews reject the gospel almost totally. Not totally, but almost totally in our day and time. But one day they'll turn again when, in the tribulation time when Christ uh, opens their understanding. And again, you read those things in Jeremiah and Isaiah and both the other minor prophets that one day God's going to open their eyes and they're going to see that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ and they will individually, one by one, repent and turn toward him. And the nation itself will be known then as a Christian nation. But it, ha- it hasn't happened yet. And so he says, Oh, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. You read over in the Psalms, and we—if we honor the Lord with our lives—I can't remember which one, but I didn't put it in the notes. But He'll give us the desires of our heart. This makes me think about it. He'll give us the desires of our heart. Now, what is the desire of your heart this morning? 
Uh, you know, is the desire of your heart to be honoring to Christ? Is there, or is the desire of your heart a new car? You know, again, it, so I want you to understand what I mean when I'm saying the desires of your heart. He, he, I believe that passage means he will put his desires in your heart. He will put his desires for you in your heart. And then he fulfills them. And, and that's what he did for this woman. He, he, he put his, his desire for her to worship him in her heart. And she did that. And it was real whether he healed her daughter or not. It was real in her life. And that's what the Lord responds to. Great is your faith. Great is your faith. And I don't know about you, I want to have great faith. I, I, want, to, I, I want to be a person that I, I'm never challenged by the circumstances of my life because I have great faith. I belong to God. I'm in His hand. And if He wants to make me suffer physically, financially, emotionally, that's His business. I am in His hand. I am one of those little dogs. I am in His hand. I have eaten from the crumbs of His table, and I am satisfied. That's how I want to live. That's freedom in Christ. There is a little preaching in this, isn't there? So, <clears throat> well, pray with me, and we'll leave the last thing for next week. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time together this morning. And dear Lord, help us to have the faith that this woman showed toward you. Lord, help us to uh, not uh, think and any ever think that we're deserving of anything from you, but you have loved us. Lord, simply because you're compassionate and merciful, and Lord, you're forgiving, and you chose to, and we uh, accept that and honor you for it, and Lord, please let that be in our hearts, and you be glorified in our thoughts of you, and our thoughts of how you treated us, our, our thoughts, Lord, about your majesty, and we will be blessed in your sight, in Christ's name, amen. Well, Lord bless you, we'll see you in church.